this past week. Every morning as we've been headed to school, I've been trying to talk to the girls about the different events that were taking place during the last, li- the last week of Jesus' life. And I was asking them about the different scriptures we had been reading and uh, what had been standing out to them. And last week, the girls had been reading in Luke chapter 15. And my oldest daughter, Grace, said, Dad, I really like that story about the shepherd. About the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And I started thinking about that at the beginning of this week. I was thinking about how the cross is such a picture of how far the shepherd would go to go after one sheep. One sheep. How far? How far would he go? So here's the verse, Luke chapter 15. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Put me in that group any day of the week. I want to be in whatever group is getting close to Jesus. Amen? They were drawing close to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and he goes home and then he calls his friends and and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And just to remind you which group you fall in, Isaiah 53 verse 6, which group we all fall in, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Jesus, I thank you for every person that's in this room tonight, every person that's watching online. I thank you that we're not here tonight by accident. And I thank you that we're here celebrating and remembering Lord, the moment that you showed us just how far you would go for one sheep. That's the question tonight. How far? We, we know. We know the answer. We know how far he'd go. But still, we should, we should ponder this in our hearts. How far? Just how far did Jesus go? How far did God go? Because, listen, the Father, Son, and Spirit don't do anything apart from one another. How far did God go to chase after one lost sheep? You know, I believe that the pursuit began in a garden. It began in a garden when the Father said, Let us make man in our image. And he formed the man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed the breath of life in them. 
He created them male and female in his image. And it says that the father in Genesis chapter 3, it says the father began pursuing the sheep even before sin entered the picture. It says every night in the cool of the day, the father would come down. He just wanted to commune with these children that he had created. He was already pursuing these sheep even before they had thought about going astray. And we know the story. We know eventually Adam and Eve go astray. They eat the one thing the Lord told them not to eat. And now in Adam, we've all gone astray. In Adam, the entire human race is fallen. And it's not just individually, it's that we've all turned away. There's a sense that every one of us we know are born into sin, but every one of us has willfully chosen sin as well. We've all been the sheep that's turned its back on the shepherd. I just want us to think how far the good shepherd has gone to get us back. That's what I want to present to you before we take communion, before we celebrate his body and bread, his body and blood. Let's remember how far he went to, to win us back. It starts in a garden. The shepherd's pursuing humanity. He doesn't, he doesn't let sin in the story. So he calls out Abraham in Genesis. I'm just going to preach the whole Bible real fast. <laughs> he call, but, but this is God pursuing his sheep because he says, Abraham, I'm choosing you, but it's not just about you. Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. And Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac gets that promise. And Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob receives that promise. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of a nation called Israel. And Israel becomes this people through whom the shepherd is going to pursue all of humanity. Because we're all lost sheep. And so he creates a people for his glory, Israel. And then he, he, he pursues them by giving them a good law. He, he gives them the law. And he says, this is how you can live and commune with me. This is what will point you to me. But the people of Israel, just like their original mom and dad, Adam and Eve, go astray over and over again. And you might think that God would end the story there. But instead, he goes, okay, you didn't listen to the promises through Abraham. You haven't listened to the law that I gave Moses. So I'll give you prophets now. I'm going to pursue you through prophets that will bring you messages from my heart. But they didn't listen to prophets either. So he says, I'll give you kings. And he raises up a king named David, who's a man after God's own heart. And Solomon, and the line goes on down the line. And God gives kings to allow government, but the people still continued to stray. And eventually, God in his pursuit says, I'm going to have to let you, I'm going to have to let you see how this thing ends when you reject me. Sometimes God will do that. It's called tough love. And God says, you're going to have to go into captivity to a place called Babylon. And they go. And then God brings the people back in his grace. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then, and then, in the fullness of time, 
the shepherd came. He actually came when the Holy Spirit overshadowed and enveloped a virgin teenage girl named Mary. The shepherd said, okay, they haven't listened to Abraham. They haven't listened to Moses. They haven't listened to the prophets. They haven't listened to the king. So you know what? I'll come down and I'll take on their form and I'll become one of them. The shepherd comes as one of us. Now, I don't understand how to explain this. I don't, I don't know if we as Christians can quite wrap our heads around what this means, that God took on flesh. But this past week, I heard the best illustration of this I've ever heard in my life. So like every good preacher, I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal the illustration. Um, I'm going to tweak it a little bit. About five years ago, I got to see the redwood trees in California. Massive. Like the redwoods that they carved tunnels into and cars could drive through them. Massive trees that big. And the preacher said, I want you to imagine. Here's what the incarnation is. A a massive redwood tree is taken and planted into a pot. Right? Right? Like, imagine the pot you have sitting on your porch with a flower. Now imagine trying to get a redwood in in that. Somehow, God did that when he took on the form of a human. (laughs) The shepherd came. He came after us. And he lives this life. He lives the life that every human being should live. He shows us what humanity should look like. And it looks like giving of yourself. It looks like staying in constant communion with your father. And so the shepherd comes and and he shows, I've come. I've come to seek and to save the lost. And so what does he do? For 30 years, he lives in relative silence. And then he bursts onto the scene after his baptism. And for three years, all he does is preach good news and heal sick people and feed hungry people, and raise the dead. But do you know what? He wasn't quite the shepherd that we wanted. Again, as the shepherd's pursuing his sheep, what do the people do? They reject the shepherd again. In human form, God is in the flesh. And it's so easy for us to look back and go, oh, I wouldn't have. I would have been one of the ones. No, when it came down to it, it was John and a handful of women that didn't, that didn't leave his side. Everybody else turned on him. We celebrated on Sunday, Palm Sunday. The crowds are screaming. Here he is, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And by Friday, those same people are the ones screaming, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And that's us. That would have been us. The shepherd who began pursuing his sheep in the Garden of Eden finds himself in another garden. A garden called Gethsemane. And we ask again, how far would the shepherd go? What price is he willing to pay for one sheep? One sheep. He's in the garden and Luke tells us he is agonizing and he's, he's, 
his spirit is being broken to the point that he, he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood because he's under such duress. He is feeling the full weight of what, of what he's about to do, the price he's about to pay. He knows that all of humanity's sin is about to be laid on him. And he cries out to his Abba and he says, Abba, if there's any way for this cup, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, Lord, let's find another way. He's in a garden. And in that garden, the father says, there's no other, there's no other way, son. The only way for us to get the Garden of Eden back is for you to submit to me in this garden called Gethsemane. I need you to trust me. I need you to submit to me. And the shepherd says, to get one lost sheep back, not my will, but your will be done. How far would the shepherd go? Well, the scripture said he would he would leave the 99. He would go after the one. And it says when he finds that sheep, he rejoices. And remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that it was for the joy that was set before him that the good shepherd, Jesus, endured the cross. He didn't go to the cross begrudgingly. He went joyfully, knowing that he would win his sheep back. And the shepherd... He goes to the cross and it blows my mind that he doesn't just go to the cross, but he goes to the cross until the job was complete. The scripture says that Jesus looks at his disciples and, and they're freaking out about what's about to happen. And Jesus says, don't you know, I could call 12,000 legions of angels and they would come fight for me. We know now that a legion, a Roman legion, when I looked it up, uh, during this time period was about 5,000 soldiers. Jesus just said, I could call down 60 million angels and I could be done with all of this. But there's a lost sheep named James, named Peyton, named Melanie, named Travis. There's a lost sheep. So he doesn't quit because shepherds don't quit. They keep pursuing until they get their sheep back. In John 19 verse 30, this verse tells us that as the good shepherd was dying on the cross, he lifted up his voice and he said, it is finished. The verse continues and it says, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Those words, it is finished, is a translation of the Greek word to telestai. And it's a word that means to end, to bring to completion, to bring to a conclusion, to complete, to accomplish, to, to fulfill, or to finish. How far would the good shepherd go? Well, he would go to the cross, and he would stay there until it was finished. Until it was finished. And when Jesus spoke these words... When Jesus spoke these words, first of all, he was saying, this is his exclamation, he had finished the job that the Father had sent him to do. Do you remember what he said his Father had sent him to do? To seek and to save that which is lost. He said, it's finished. I've come to do my work, and with this dying breath, I am finishing the job my Father sent me to do. Second, this word, telestai, 
was the equivalent of the Hebrew word spoken by the high priest when he presented a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish. You need to understand that Jesus entered into the holy place and he offered his own blood, a sacrifice so complete that no other lamb would ever have to be sacrificed again. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He comes into the holy place and he says, To tell us die, it is finished. No more lambs have to be sacrificed. Third, this word was used in a business sense to signify the full payment of a debt. Jesus took our place. He paid the debt we owed for our sin. And we, when we, by faith, repent and receive Him as Lord, we are set free. This is why Paul wrote... <laughs> In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Lastly, in ancient times, Tetelestai also depicted a turning point when one period ended and a new period began. See, the good shepherd didn't just finish it on the cross. He said, I'm putting an end to an old covenant and I'm starting a new covenant of grace so that all of my sheep that will hear my name, will hear my voice, will come unto me. It's a new covenant that he began. That's how good our shepherd is. And that's how far our shepherd went to find us. I ask myself, why, why does this shepherd rejoice? Why does he rejoice over one sheep? Why one? Because that's how much he loves one sheep. I'm sure there's many other reasons. But I know this for sure. He rejoices over the one. Because he loves the one. He loves the one. If the team would go ahead and make their way back. How far did the shepherd go? He went to a cross and he stayed there until it was finished. And he did it for one sheep. And I'm the one sheep and you're the one sheep. There's an old song that I grew up singing. I remember us singing it on the night, Sunday nights we had a choir. And uh, I just want to read you the lyrics of this old song. And I want you to think about it. The words say this. I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I've made mistakes. I often slip. Just common flesh and bones. But I'll prove someday just why I say I'm of a special kind. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. The look of love was on his face. Thorns were on his head. The blood was on his scarlet robe, stained a crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine. So unworthy of such mercy. 
Yet when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. So were you. So were you. Jesus. Jesus, we love you tonight. You're such a good shepherd. That you would pursue us when we run from you. That you would pursue us when we rebel, when we turn our own way. When we think we know better, you just keep chasing us down. And tonight your cross shows us just how far you'd go. You'd lay down your life so that I could have life. You'd give up all of your rights so that I could have freedom. I am unworthy of this kind of love. But you've called me worthy, so I won't argue with you. I thank you. I thank you for showing us this kind of love. And I pray it be real in every person's heart right now. You've been sitting in this room. There are some in this room under the weight of condemnation. The only thing that rolls through your head is I'm unworthy. No, he came after you, not because you're unworthy, but because you are worth his love. Lord, we celebrate your cross tonight. And the only words I can find is just thank you. Thank you, good shepherd. Thank you for laying your life down. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. As Colton plays, I just want you to take a moment Let's just pause and reflect on the Lord. And in a couple minutes, Peyton and Kayla are going to come up and they're going to lead us in communion. So what I want you to do while, while Colton's playing is just take a moment and prepare your heart for what it is we're about to do because this is holy. This is holy ground that we're standing on. the body and the blood of Jesus. Let's prepare our hearts.